You are listening to AVFC Extra, a no-nonsense look at the club we all love. Brought to you by the Claret and Blue podcast. Hello, welcome back to the Claret and Blue podcast and the return of AVFC Extra. I'm your host, Dan Rowenson, stepping into the shoes of James Rushton, who's left us for Pastures New. Good luck, James. I'm joined today by Neil Dunworth from the For, for the Love of Paul McGraw podcast. I knew that would be a mouthful. Neil, you okay? <laughs> I'm very good. I'm great. After this news, it's really put me in chipper form after after yesterday's mm. uh, after yesterday's results. So yeah, I'm back up in the horse again and Aston Villa are going to win the league in 2023. It's just written <laughs> the start. Obviously, we're here to talk about Bubakar Kamara joining Villa, but you know, you just mentioned Man City, so let's quickly get your take on that as well before we move on. Have you recovered from that yet? Because I wrote a, a newsletter today for our Cloud and Blue audience, and I believed at 2 0 that we might we might get something from us. Silly, really, to believe, but I thought, you know what, we might just get something here. Uh, so I've not quite recovered from the madness of the last kind of 24 hours, and now that we've signed a player as well, my head is all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's kind of where I am at the moment. <laughs> Yesterday, it was a tough. 45 maybe 50 minutes after the game and then I kind of I was uh just sitting down and I was actually watching a rerun of the of, of the F1 and I kind of thought to myself wait a minute we weren't supposed to win this game you know <laughs> and then I kind of went I'm just gonna forget all about the hopes and dreams I had at, at 68 and 69 minutes of that game and I'm gonna go back to how I felt just before kickoff and said eh, if we play okay I think I'll be fine and we did mm. we played okay for 70 minutes but you know I think today's signing is and I would imagine th- here from what we've heard from Stephen Jarrett is we're going to see some some action early. We're going to Australia as well as well. Don't forget that. So we're going mm. to see some action early with people coming in, and I think that that would be a direct reflection on some of the areas we saw yesterday with regards to he said a weak spine himself. I would imagine straight up the middle is where we're going to be signing players, and uh, today is just goes to show that Aston Villa really mean business considering the caliber of player that they brought in that we can hopefully. Hold on to a lead, or hold on to a two-nil lead, which sounds mad and all to say, uh, with only twelve minutes to go. That would be nice. That would be nice. Mm. And for those of you that are new to the, the channel, IVFC Extra is our kind of extra dose of, of claret and blue, which allows us to dive deeper into uh, into one subject with a special guest. And um, today's subject is obviously Bubakar Kamara joining Aston Villa, and today's guest is Neil, as, as you've uh, seen so far. I'm stepping in for James, and James will have a massive list of questions for these kind of episodes. It happened this morning. I was still working on the Man City stuff from last night, so I've not prepared any questions, but I've got a rough kind of guide of where I want to take this. Um, for those that are watching along live on Facebook, if you want to put a question to Neil, sorry about that notification, um, you can uh, put a question in the comments box below. I'll put it to Neil, because he's the expert in this situation. I'm going to play my role of, of stupid football fan, which I'll do quite comfortably. Um, I know that you've waxed lyrical about, about Kamara on social media. I just started watching a video that you did back in January when we were linked with him originally for £15 million or euros. I can't remember which. And even that, to be fair, a £15 million signing would have been a pretty good deal. So to get him now, six months later, on a free contract, before the transfer window is even opened, very, very good business, Barbara, isn't it? That? Absolutely. You know, if somebody, if somebody was to come from the future... Uh, go back 12 months ago and someone's to come from the future and say you guys are going to be sitting okay you're going to have been 2-0 up against Man City and have had a say in the in the title race okay you weren't going to win it yourselves but Coutinho is going to score a goal for Villa oh, oh and by the way he signed for you for 17 million and then the day after you signed Bubakar Kamara one of the best up and coming uh, midfielders whether it's arguable as to whether he's a, he's a direct 6 or a direct 8 and we'll get on to that in a moment um, but uh 
uh, it's if someone was to come and say that you got both of those players for 17 million and mm. the transfer window hasn't really even opened then I would say, like, I would say, go away, go back to where you came from. You're obviously uh, a troll, but uh, it's fantastic business, as you said yourself. It's, uh, it, it, it's, it's not something that, even though I spoke about it in January with regards to the 15 million, and I thought, listen, pay 15 million, pay 20 if you have to, even though he's got mm. got six months on his contract. The upside, the high ceiling on this guy, he's, th- he's, he's thought of in, in the same vein as the likes of Kamavinga and, Aurelien Tashimoy, or whatever, however you pronounce his name, from Monaco. These guys are are the new breed of of French uh, midfielders. They're the new breed of of do it all French midfielders, I suppose. Really, and Kamara is thought as highly uh, uh, is spoken of in the same corridors as those guys. So for me, that's an indictment in itself. We saw how Camavinga mm-hmm. came on from for uh, Real Madrid and absolutely ran the show at 19 years of age. Um, and we see all that the the hullabaloo about Aurelian, whose name I can't pronounce from from Monaco, whether he's going to go to Real Madrid or Liverpool. Really highly thought of guy as well. And Kamara is in that bucket as well. And I'm going to be really honest. And I'm going to say. How did we pull this off? Because Gerard and Johan Lange and um, and Perslow must have really gone out there and laid out multiple red carpets for this guy when they went out to Marseille on that on that that scouting uh, on that what now looks like that signing trip that they did mm. maybe two weeks ago. Because uh, it's this is a coup and this is one that that as you said, the likes of Philippe Auclair, Andy Brazil. Um, you know, a lot of people who who are in the know with French football have stood up at this and taken notice and said, "Wow." this will take some beating for signing of the season uh, so far. Yeah. Like I said, we're probably going to go a little bit all over the place here. You just said, how has this happened? How much of this is down to to Steven Gerrard and his pulling factor to, to have signed? I mean, he's had a pretty good window so far. If you go back to January as well, Luca Dean, obviously Premier League, highly rated, um, Coutinho, and then and then um, Kamara then today. This kind of even profile of signing Ash was saying yesterday doesn't even happen under Dean Smith, never mind whether we could get it over the line because we weren't looking in these markets then. So how much of it is down to Gerard to, that he's got it over the line? Well, I think it's, I think, uh, and I've fallen into this as well before. I've always directly compared the two, Dean Smith and, and Gerard, regards to what is quote unquote pulling power. But I think it's just natural that if you're sitting inside in a, in a meeting, Regardless of who it is, but if you're sitting inside and and if the person to put you all, put the the discussion over the line is arguably one of the best midfielders, best all round midfielders in Europe over the last twenty years, you know Stephen Gerrard. I'm saying that that is. I don't know how good Johan Lange was or if Perslow <laughs> ever kicked football or whatever, but uh, Steve, you know, I think that there is a factor of of uh, of of magnitude with regards to that. Um, now saying that as well. Like Kamara isn't coming here just because he wants to get Steven Gerrard's autograph. You know, he's mm. coming here because he see buys into the project, he buys into what we've got, what what we've sold him, you know, with regards to where we want to be and what we want to do. And ideally, finishing 14th in the league, a lot of people said, Oh, England's 14th best football team. And look, the league doesn't lie at the end of the season. But where Steven when Steven Gerrard came in and what he wants to do now, what the club wants to do, the outlay that the club maybe have to spend. Maybe there's been other names that have been mentioned to Bubakar Kamara that we're in contact with or that we just yeah. have a little bit of a piece to go over the line. Remember, I said at the start, I'm expecting a, a bit of a flurry. I'm expecting some good business to be done. 
over the next three weeks before we before or maybe four weeks before we go to Australia. So it's not going to be one of these ones where we're going to be massively active on deadline day and signing three, four or five players. I don't think it's like that. And when you're signing free transfers like this, you need to be able to sell the project really early yeah. and really quickly. And I wouldn't be surprised if this isn't our last free transfer. Uh, if this isn't our last free transfer as well, because I think Gerard said, he said, we're working on a lot of things in the background at the moment and that will become apparent uh, soon. And, and I'm paraphrasing on that. So it, it's really interesting. But obviously he does have an, have an effect on, on, uh, on you know, the, the, the pulling power of the club because he's a massive name. He's a huge hmm. name in the game of football and he can talk football to footballers. So can Dean Smith, don't get me wrong. But it's it's just that added bit of magnitude I think that the manager w- manager would have, um, and the fact that he's so new, he's only been in here since October last year. He can always fall and fall back on this and this is what we've implemented from the last regime. This is what we've done. This is what we're trying to do, and this is where we see you fitting into our plan next year with these extra players. So sometimes the small sample set for somebody like Steven Gerrard can help because he can say, oh, we haven't been able to implement what I really want to do yet, and this is where I think you're going to fit in. So um, I think that that's, a, that's an overall positive, and you know, if we see quality signings like this come in through the course of the rest of the, se- rest of the off-season or over the next few weeks, well, then that's going to be amazing, I think. Yeah, you would imagine Tarkovsky might be next to the door as a free transfer as well. He's obviously been linked in various different places, um, which would be a decent signing in itself, I think. But we'll get onto that later down the line if and when it does happen. Um, on Kamara, like obviously, you know, kind of selling in this project, Villa's potential isn't the 14th best side in, in, in the Premier League. It wants to be top eight as a minimum, really. And, you know, we, we spoke yesterday after Manchester City, we're, I think we we're 15 points off European places. And mm. some of the games we've thrown away yesterday, I know it's Man City, but you're still ahead. We've lost to Wolves twice. One of those were ahead. We've lost to Watford twice. We dropped points to Brentford, I think, um, Newcastle. A couple of others where you think, you know, we probably should have won, won those. So you can kind of see how we're not not a million miles away. Mm. However, and I don't want to kind of get onto the, the negative side of it because that's you know, not really the point of this. But if it doesn't work out for Kamara, in terms of a football business perspective, his value is going to go up in the future. He's 22 now. We've paid nothing for him besides wages and sign-on fees and all that kind of thing. But a year, two, three, four in the Premier League is only a good business decision as well. Just that side of it is is a good kind of a thing that a thing that like a well-run football club does. Kind of thinks ahead a little bit to what might it might not work out. Can we still make some money off it? I absolutely one hundred percent agree. I one hundred percent agree. And the further up the league we go, like obviously there is there is potential that you know obviously we go down and we leave the league like we did when we had some good uh, French stars like the likes of jo- Johan. Um, oh, what was his name? Uh, yeah, it was Johan Veretout. Uh, um, yeah, and and Adrisa Gay. Like, look what they've gone on to be now. That isn't that that isn't a failing on Aston Villa's part. That's a failing on I suppose the overall team where we were, who we had in over the team and getting relegated. So yes, it is a failing on Aston Villa's part, but they were good players brought in at the wrong time for the wrong people that were over them. And I think that's fair to say in hindsight now. Um, mm. But you know, the club seems an awful lot more together. It seems an awful lot more coherent. The top is working with the bottom, and the middle knows what it's doing in between those two as well. So it's a full proper sandwich of co- collaboration at the minute. And when we talk about the likes of the the future proofing, I suppose, of signings, the future proofing of of the club itself, you can't get much better than signing a twenty two year old, just gone twenty three year old, uh, or no, sorry, twenty two year old. He hasn't gone twenty three yet. Um, twenty two year old uh, with massive upside. Like transfer market have him as a, as a valued at twenty two point five million as of now. 
He's just gotten the French national squad. Lump another five million on if he if he gets a game for France over the next couple of weeks and months. Maybe he goes to Qatar. Lump another ten million on. Maybe Villar six finish in the top eight in the in the Premier League. You know the way the transfer fees are going; they're only going one way, and that's up. And for a guy with this amount of potential, um, as I say, uh, that's good for Aston Villa and it future proofs the club. And uh, when we get him for free, yes, we're going to have front loaded it with lots of wages. Like we're, we're not sitting here and oblivious to that. This mm. kid is good. Is is a rich boy after signing that contract today? That is a fact. His family don't got to worry about money for generations <laughs> to come. But. I think it's worth it sometimes as well when you do something like that because obviously the free transfer is the free transfer and uh, front-loading the contract with, um, with with lots of wages is is beneficial itself because, look, I suppose the only way we would probably keep him um, for more than four or five years of whatever he signed and being realistically and honest is if we can fulfill our potential. If we don't mm. fulfill our potential, we would need to sign him and if we sell him, we get a transfer fee plus the amortization of the of the contract as well. So from a financial point of view, it makes an awful lot of sense to front load those wages too. Yeah. That's enough of selling the player after we've only just bought him. Let's, let's move on to what you're doing. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a part it's of the deal that you have to talk about. We've done it, so let's move on. Um, there's a few yeah. comments in the Facebook feed saying that they've never heard of him until we were even linked with him, um, which... <clears throat> Is a fair a fair thing to say for for some football fans. Not everyone will be across the French football leagues for to be watching a, a twenty two year old. Um, I've not been been watching him. I've seen a highlights reel, and I think he's looks like the, the next best thing. Which you know everyone looks good on a highlights reel on YouTube, so that's a little bit dangerous. Um, we talk a lot about potential. So kind of from your side of things, I know you put a lot of research in, into this guy for for your own podcast, which we mentioned at the start. Are we buying potential? Or are we buying someone ready-made who's going to make a difference for Aston Villa come match day one next season? That that's actually a great question because a bit of both actually probably. <laughs> it, yeah, it's so we're buy, we're obviously buying potential because he's twenty-two years of age, and there's very few midfielders that are culturally and and I suppose positionally uh, fully formed at twenty-two years of age. There's very mm-hmm. very few, in, in fact. I'm going to come out and I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it early doors. If you're wondering what kind of a midfielder this guy is, I get an absolute bang of Declan Rice off him. That type of midfielder, don't hit the comments and say, oh my God, are we have to say... No, don't. I'm talking about that type of midfielder. The midfielder that can skirt between an eight and a six very easily. A midfielder mm. that's used to playing uh, more in defence. Declan Rice did play. Um, some of his, some of his, as far as I'm aware anyway, I think even for Ireland, he played some of his youth... Um, his youth uh, performances and stuff like that came in in the back line as a centre half, um, yeah, because Declan Rice used to play for Ireland before some crazy world, um, but uh, but, but Kamara is kind of like that. He has played eighteen games for Marseille as a centre half, and uh, you know he was he's been he was quickly fast tracked and moved into a kind of a, a hybrid centre defensive midfielder midfielder kind of uh, role. And the reason that I'm kind of I'm differentiating between the two is because he's come up under Andre Villas Boas as well, who would have definitely mm. and would have had would have been synonymous with having a definitive. One behind the four in midfield, if that makes sense. So he would have played a four-one-four-one essentially when he was playing it, and Kamara was that guy that sat him behind the four in midfield. It probably wasn't the best use of his talents as time has gone on, and now that San Paoli is in there with with the team, you can see it's become an awful lot more fluid. And I think that's really interesting from the point of view of where Aston Villa want to go. Um, I think I have, I would have been banging the table, kicking down doors, jumping out windows, looking for a big, massive, strong central defensive midfielder, um, even up until about three weeks ago. And I've kind of thought to myself, I went, oh, wait a minute, you know, there's enough 
data here to kind of look at it and to think Gerard mightn't want this big massive midfielder because I think because when you look back a lot of the times our midfield is pretty flat yes we do have an inflection backwards to have a a, a kind of hybrid six-ish player there and you see that with Douglas Louise it's obviously more more pronounced when the Camba comes into the team but this guy can fill the gaps I think in that area because that's what he's played for Marseille at the moment he has you know like he's he can sit in front of that back three, although I wouldn't like when you look at him or when you watch him play because he's 22 and, you know, he's he, he doesn't like to be caught in those half spaces isolated. So to have somebody like McGinn beside him and maybe to have somebody like uh, a Jacob Ramsey there who do an awful lot of work and cover those half spaces because they've been doing that all year to cover over over for uh, Dina and, and Matty Cash. I think he could thrive in that area. The fact that it would mm. allow him to go forward because his real, real asset for this guy, especially over this year, has become a pivot player in the fact he manoeuvres his body, body when he receives passes. It's just, it's really, really good. He very rarely receives the ball static with his back facing facing the uh, player when he when when they're coming on to him. He's always on the turn on the move when he when he receives it, kind of like McGinn in in a way uh, that he does that. And he's been pretty good. So some of the statistics I've I've just got them written down here so that I don't forget them, but. You know, um, passes under pressure. Um, he's had he's had quite a lot of passes under pressure this season, and he's up in the top ninety percentile. I think of of those. Actually, I'm just I'm looking for it here, and I have I can't find where I have it. He's <laughs> yeah, he's twelve passes under pressure per per ninety minutes. So what I'm getting at here is San Paoli just has has changed him into this player that's like you be the focal point of our initial attack uh, and our initial ball progression. You be that guy mm. that picks it up as the pivot. If people, and the reason I'm putting you in there is because if people converge upon you, you are good enough at getting out of that. So 12.04 passes uh, under pressure. And if you were to equate that to people we have in the team already, then, you know, Douglas Louise receives 5.7 passes under pressure per per game or has done it per 90 minutes over the last 365 days. And uh, Marvelous Nakamba receives 5.25. So when we're talking, we can heavy, we can give this guy a heavy load of work. Heavy workload. Mm. He's 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 done it. He's had those like that's that's twelve successful passes under pressure this season. So so that's really good. And when you look at his completion, his pass completion rates 91 percent pass completion rate. And and that's not just saying that he passed at three or four yards every time. He's a ninety five percent completion rate in the short short areas and a ninety three and a half percent completion rate in the medium areas. And I think I don't have it written down here, but I think it's a seventy seven percent completion rate in the lo- in long range passing as well. And when you compare that to when you compare his overall completion to like some marvelous Nakamba and Douglas Louise, you're looking at both of those coming come somewhere in between the eighty-three and eighty-five percent overall pass completion rate as well. So Steven Gerrard came in here, he said he wants to keep possession. This guy is good for a possession-based team, for a team that wants to play it out from the back, but maybe doesn't want their defenders to be doing an awful lot of the playing of the ball. Because we've seen our defenders maybe go along with it an awful lot. Tyrone Mings has you mentioned James Tarkovsky. If James Tarkovsky, if he is somebody Aston Villa want to sign, this would give them would give him a good comfort blanket. The ball goes to somebody like Kamara, and Kamara can deal with it and progress the ball forward mm. up the field there as well. Um, so I think for me, that's one of his massive strengths is the fact that he has the background of defending, being a centre back. He's played under two managers who've played him in two slightly different positions, and he's only 22, one being the, the rigid holding midfielder that Villas Boas has played him, and the other one being more that pivot player, that dynamic, that fluid player that Sampaoli has brought in, that Argentinian-style, deep-lying, 
holding player, yes, but also he's been given that kind of that that license to to start attacks and to maybe be a bit uh, a bit more forward thinking in his passing. Does kind of the the phrase defensive midfielder not give him enough credit then? Because from what you know, from what you're talking about there, it doesn't sound like this big bruiser of a midfielder that's just going to sit there and break things up and, and move on, and, and that's it. Almost like a very good Nakamba. It sounds a bit more yeah. like he's going to want to get on the ball and make things happen as well. Is that is exactly. that what need though? I I actually the more and more I think about it is that like we can cry out for essential defensive midfielder all we want, but if Stephen Jarrett doesn't want to play a dedicated bruiser as you like in there, um the likes of a uh, and I'm showing my age here now, a Papa Booba Diop from back in the day for Fulham, the wardrobe or the refrigerator, which one was he? Was he the wardrobe? I think they called him. God rest him actually. I think he, I think he's I think he's since passed. But um like he was a big guy who stopped people playing. Or even like you know, an Angolo Kante who's there to just be a nuisance and to pressure and to intercept. The interesting thing about Kamara is he does have an awful lot of pressures and he does have uh, he does have an awful lot of interceptions. Um, he he he's kind of like he's not going to jump into a tackle. So if you're expecting this guy to be guts and glory to have that massive tackle that's going to get you up off your seat two or three times a game and to be almost a throwback type player. This ain't the guy. This guy's measured. When he goes into a tackle, he measures it. He makes sure that he's going to slow down opposition more so than stop them dead in their tracks, if that makes sense. So mm. he'll slow down opposition. He's very. He's got a, got a high-pressure success rate, 39.1%, I think it is. Puts him in the top 95%, if I'm not mistaken, in, in, in the top leagues in Europe as well. And when you compare that with Douglas Louise, the pressure success rate with Douglas Louise was 29.8%. And the reason I bring that up is they had similar amount of pressures per 90 minutes. Um, over the course of last season. Now, Marvellous Nakamba comes in at 29.6%, but he would have had over 20, 20 pressures uh, per 90 minutes, whereas the other two guys would have came in between 15 and 17 per game. Um, so they, there would have been a smaller sample set there. Mm. Um, so he's like his tackling skill is good, but like he's not going to be the type of guy that's going to dive and put a fellow out over the advertising hoardings, you know. And um, so if that's what you're expecting, that's not what you're going to get. And that's why I'm kind of talking from the point of view of, it it's like I'm not really I'm not comfortable at the moment just pigeonholing him as this is a definite six because number one I don't mm. think this team is going to play with an absolute rigid six next season. This guy can play it. He has under Andre Andre Villas Boas, um, but he's come really into his own since San Paoli has taken over the team as well. And so San Paoli has 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 allowed him playing. I want to call it a seven position, but obviously he's not going to play out in the wing, if you know what I mean, kind of in between the two. So yeah. that's why I liken him to Declan Rice, Dan, because, you know, Declan Rice gets pigeonholed as this def- definitive six, but how many times do you see Declan Rice pass yeah. the ball forward or up in the box? Or how, how many times have you seen him do the business for England there, stepping out, striding out through midfield? And while I'm not saying that this guy is going to be, is going to, is going to hop on the field and be exactly like Declan Rice day one, it's that type of player, I think, is what we envisage this guy can be. Yeah, that's more a, a more sensible cons- comparison, maybe because I think the caption on this Facebook post is like, you know, a proper defensive midfielder. At last, Lewis Sprig here says we were dying out for a CDM for years. Is it kind of a little bit short-sighted to just suggest that he will be a number six that will sit in front of the back four and do nothing else, and he will want to get on the ball, get further mm-hmm. forward, not not to the extent of being a box-to-box midfielder, so to speak, but has that technical ability to actually do things when he has got the ball. So we've, we've yeah. talked in recent weeks about someone like Nakamba. He's very good at the, the breaking up the play bit and the, and the big slide tackle and things like that and comes on. He didn't shore things up yesterday, but comes on and he's supposed to do that role. But then he wins it back. 
and gives it away straight away because he doesn't have the, the technical ability to, to pass it off and move it well. Whereas Kamara, it sounds like he will be able to, to progress the ball forward once he wins it back. One of the big things, and everybody, everybody says this about Kamara, is Kamara's like a, like a guy doing his driving test. Well, sorry, they don't say this. This is my analogy. He's like a guy doing his driving <laughs> yeah, test. So when you're doing driving test, you're always looking in your mirrors. You're looking, mm. looking around, making sure, you know, you do that over-exaggerated, looking around to make sure if there's no traffic coming at a roundabout or whatever, just to pass your driving test. This guy does it in the field. Should see him. His head is on a swivel. He's he's looking around all the time. And I mentioned it with his body positioning when he receives the pat when he receives um uh passes into him. He's got a ninety five point eight percent pass reception rate. So that means if he gets the ball, he's not going like he doesn't lose it that often. Mm. Um, and which is which is 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 really important, I think. But he's always looking around. He scans the field, and I know this is very intangible, and you know it's very easy to say it, but he's consistently looking around. So. When you look at, at at that type of player, and when you bring like if we if I was to, I'll, I'll speak English. Um, if going back to why the question that you asked, if we were to pigeonhole him directly as a six, I just think you're underutilizing one of his massive strengths, which is to get his get turned, get his head get his head turned, look around and pick out a pass, whether it be five, ten, a ten yard pass or whatever. If you're just like if he's get the ball, get rid of the ball, like Nakamba really is. That's mm. not utilizing him in the right way. Um, he may turn out to be a very, very good six in time, but I think at the moment he's showing his work to the team in two in two areas, which is pressures, pressures, um, pressure success, as in like he doesn't just dive into a tackle for the sake of it. When he tackles, he means it, and he usually is calculated with regards to that. But also when he wins back the ball, um, he's he's quite good at using it using it as well. And as I said, his workload dictates the fact uh, has dictated the fact that. Marseille have given him a lot of a lot of the ball. I think it's like seventy one point nine times he seventy about seventy two times I think per game he's actually targeted with a pass. And of those ninety five point what they say ninety five point eight percent of those uh, have been successful. As in he's took the pass, he's retained possession, and he's passed mm. the ball on again. So um, to just yeah to just utilize him as a breaker, as a blocker, as a destroyer would be completely neglecting to utilise another one of the brilliant skills that he has with regards to his retention and his ball progression as well. Mm, that's interesting. Um, there's two comments here, or two questions rather, from Liam and Edward that I want to kind of mould into one, really. So Liam says, do we think this signing kills a Calvin Phillips deal? And Edward says, who who is he replacing? So I'm kind of going to mould those two questions together and want you to kind of assess what Villa's midfield looks like next season now Kamara's in there and some of that maybe does rely on is Louise staying around will Sanson still be there what happens to John McGinn's position will he now play further forward do we sign somebody else like a Calvin Phillips and you've got Phillips and Kamara as a two potentially with, with Ramsey further forward maybe so I'm going to give you the floor to talk about formation midfield options future signings and roll all that into one for me as best you can yeah uh, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting one because we're going to have to balance the books somewhere. We're going to have to mm. sell players th- this off-season. Now, obviously, there's going to be players like, you know, Target's going to be gone. I think Courtney House is going to be gone. Uh, Anwar, Trez, they're all, they're all going to be gone. Uh, potentially Bertrand Trory, I would imagine, might be gone mm. um, a- as well, or somebody of that ilk. And I don't like writing anybody's epitaph at the moment. Sanson, you mentioned, would be another one. So... I, I think that I think that we will see see those outgoings, and I think those outgoings have pretty much been it's been ascertained that that some of those guys are going to be gone just based on their usage, based on who's been sent out on loan and all that jazz so far. Um, 
who he replaces is an interesting one because straight away it's it's just like he replaces Douglas Luiz. Definitely replaces Douglas Luiz. And probably that's who he will replace in this midfield. Now, does that mean we're selling Douglas Luiz? I don't know because, and I would say not because let's not forget that when Douglas Luiz came into this team, he was Bubakar Kamara at 22 years of age, you know? <laughs> and what, what, but now obviously I, I don't think he was as talented and I, and he certainly wasn't a six when he came in. He adapted to the six role more. Um, or sorry, he might have been a six when he played in played in Spain uh, for that year. But a, a Spanish six sometimes um, is is tasked with passing the ball more and less putting your foot in the ball and and having to um, having to to stop uh, big breakaways. Um, so when he came in, he's done the job and he's had to learn. And there's there's been a lot of learning and there's been a lot of growth. We forget Douglas Luiz is only twenty four, going on twenty five. So it, there's a lot there's a lot of inherent. Um, upside in holding on to Douglas Luiz here as well. Um, I don't think he's somebody that's going to be sold this summer. I think we actually probably see him sign a new deal. Uh, as we've seen with this club, players sign deals to protect their value. Once again, we talked about future-proofing um, the, the squad and future-proofing the business of Aston Villa. Um, uh, we're, we, I, I think this, the club are like we did with Courtney House. Courtney House only signed a new deal, I think, in December and we probably mm. won't see him again. He's probably going to be sold, but that future proves his price from the point of view of his contract, and uh, maybe they've they've lumped an extra ten grand on, on, on for a couple of weeks or whatever. So Douglas Luiz, I think, stays. Um, I don't think we will see massive overhaul in the midfield from the point of view of players going out because I think you need options. And I think sometimes yeah. that's where the, where where we've fallen down. We got really lucky with, with Jacob Ramsey coming through and growing and developing as best as he did this season. And I mean really lucky because his goals from midfield have changed games. His performances mm. from midfield, the fact he's somehow over the course of this season, it looks like he's packed on about five pounds of muscle, you know, yeah. and he's become a real ca- player who can carry the ball. If we can get that from Carney Chukwemeka next year, absolutely mm. brilliant. I think he needs to sit down with Ali Stevenson and eat whatever whatever Jacob Ramsey's been eating for the last 12 months. <laughs> I mean, Carney's a bit nice to be fair. Well, he he is, but could you imagine if he was if if he had that? It's the power of run that uh, mm. and and the kind of the the athletic strength, I suppose, really that Jacob Ramsey has shown. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of skirting around the question that you asked because I, I kind of half forgot about it in the middle of my, my train of thought but I think obviously Sanson is going to be gone I think young Tim gets a championship move next season I think a lot mm-hmm. of teams like yeah. him Villa really like him and when we talk about progression planning and so on like that Tim is only eight, 19 years of age Bubakar Kamara is only 22 years of age we do have players as I say maybe Douglas Luiz isn't here in two years time maybe maybe John McGinn who's what 27, 28 maybe as he starts yeah, to I hit think. 30 his motor starts to decrease you know so the progression planning if young Tim is loaned out next season which I think he will be I think that's I think that's beneficial if Kearney signs a new deal maybe he's loaned out next season and play big boy football you know for, for a, a, a longer period of time so there will be gaps in this midfield. We will need to will need to to um, to close in, and I don't think I don't think Bubakar Kamara is going to be the final piece in the puzzle for who we actually bring in. I think we could bring in an older player. I think we could bring in a more. I I, I still don't think Jeffrey Kandogbe is dead in the water yet. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody along those lines, and I think we could bring in an older head because Stephen Gerrard said he wants to wants to um, to solidify that spine. He wants to bring in players who are ready to play right now. That's what he said, ready to play right now. So for me, if Kandagbia could be got at a knockdown deal, I think he comes in. And he is more of your definitive, solid number six uh, type player. But um, 
So I, I don't think that he's necessarily going to replace anybody in the squad as in we're going to have to sell someone to make way for him. But I think just natural um, attrition from players going out on loan and, and, and maybe Sansan being sold, I think that's probably more where it's going to come from because I think this I think this offseason is going to be addition and then the subtraction will come from the, the players who maybe there isn't a future for. But I do think mm. there is a future for Douglas Louise within the club, within the team. And I think that they just need rotational players to come in and out of that midfield next season. Is a is a more likely three midfield Kamara Ramsey and Louise and Louise plays the eight role. He goes a bit further forward. Is that something we might see? But then Gerard fancies yeah. McGinn, doesn't he? So yeah, but but isn't isn't it like I think that's been our problem specifically going back since we've joined the Premier League is that we have a starting thirteen players. And that's mm. really it. You know, yeah. like at times this season we were bringing Ashley Young on in central midfield, like. All greatest respect to what he's achieved and what he's done. And anyone who watches my podcast, sometimes I get itchy when I see him come on the field because he's 37 years of age. I'm 37. No, I'm I'm a Wayne Rooney, 37 years of age, not like an Ashley Young. But at the same time, you know, Father Time is on the field. Yeah, there is still hope for yet. I've seen Rooney putting him in the back of the net, a training for Derby. But uh, there is... Um, you know, it's like Father Time is undefeated from that point of view. So I would prefer not to have him coming on in, in central midfield and maybe to bring on the likes of Luis to add yeah. as an eighth position to try and solidify that. Bring the Nakamba on for Kamara maybe and then go to a six as opposed to that hybrid six eight position, that flat midfield. Maybe bring on bring on Nakamba to be a bit more defensive. So it's like we saw yesterday. It didn't really work when we brought on Nakamba for somebody who's so attacking as Coutinho and we had to completely change our midfield mm. roundup. And that was kind of an issue. We needed to get Nakamba, we needed to get maybe some defensive legs and it just fell flat. It was a, it, it ended up in hindsight being a complete another catastrophe. Whereas if we're making one substitution for one substitution, for one player, one change for one substitution, should I say, yeah. within the tactical setup, I think that's what Gerard wants because when he brings a player on, sometimes he's to move three or four play, people around change their positioning, change their cha- and, and change the how how the whole uh fulcrum works within that midfield area. So yeah. um I think it's I think it's positive. I think it's positive to have a team. Five subs as well next year. Yeah, true. Yeah. There's a few questions in the comments talking about like Luis Suarez and what we're gonna do with our strikers and stuff. And I want this to kind of be the, the Kamara episode. We are doing our end of season review on Wednesday. Uh, which will probably be out for Thursday or Friday, so I'll try and do as many questions in that as I can. I uh, just want to go back to the midfielders. I was writing down and while you were talking, all the options, and I might have even missed somebody here. So we're expecting three midfield to to, to be next season's 4-3-3, three, three, mm. effectively still the same. So I'm going to go through these. I want you to give me starter, squad, sell or loan. Okay. Okay. John McGinn. Starter. Jacob Ramsey. Starter. Bubakar Kamara. I'm going to say rotation. Really? So he doesn't come in and start straight away? Oh, well, he will come in and start straight away, but I don't think he's going to play like 36, 37 right. games. I think there will be times when he will be sat down during the course of the season. If so, yeah, okay. I'm going to say starter. Yeah, I'm going to say starter. Okay, so that's your, that's your, that's your midfield three first up. Uh, Doug Stoyes. Yeah, I think he's going to be rotation. Like, I think he's the guy who comes in for Kamara when Kamara is rested. Yeah. Yeah. Sanson. Sell. Nakamba. Rotation. Slash sell. Mm. I'm going to say slash sell if Jeffrey Kondogbia comes in there or someone like like he's upgradable. Much now as yes. I love him. Yeah, so if we sign another midfielder, Nakamba would probably be the next out of the door, you think? Uh, potentially, yeah. Okay. Uh, Irabunum and Carney, both. Uh, 
I would have both of those loan. Yeah, I would have right. both of those loan loan them out. I think one of them might stick around. But it depends whether Carney stays tall, I suppose. Um, that was a bit of a strange segment, really, for podcast listeners. We just reading off a name and you saying one word back, but we tried it. Um, there's a lot of positives about Kamara, obviously. And we said at the start when we were talking about selling him, I don't want to focus on the negatives too much, but we've beaten, supposedly, Manchester United, Atletico Madrid to the uh, signature of Kamara. So there's a kind of niggling part in the back of my mind going, what's wrong with him then? What, why didn't he go to a, a bigger club with, with Champions League or European football already? Is there some kind of missing downside that we've not thought of here? It, very, very good question. In January, it was muted that just the bigger clubs weren't willing to pay a twenty-two-year-old hundred grand a week. You know, he was mm-hmm. on. He was on, apparently he was on quite a whack at Marseille. These are all unconfirmed rumors. These are just things mm-hmm. I've read. Uh, so I'm not going to say like I've uh, I've any in-depth knowledge of it. But apparently, uh, he's going to be on a good whack at Villa. Put it that way. And he was on like there was rumors of anywhere from thirty-eight to forty-five. I think is what it was. What he was originally currently on at, at Marseille. I'm completely open to correction on that. I'm only reading. I'm only just saying what I've read. So maybe clubs weren't willing to to give him that big bag of money uh, just yet. Uh, at, at 22 years of age, um, considering that they probably had to allocate funds to, to other areas of their teams, like Manchester United specifically. I wouldn't like to be the accountant for United. There's going to be a lot of big yeah. numbers going out, a lot of big numbers coming in, you know. So uh, he's going to have some sleepless nights thinking about all the bazillions that they're going to spend. But um, they're going to be interesting in the market. So uh, it's it's just it's one of these things, though, that I... I I think he's his agent wanted to did a, a commensurate uh, um, money package for him, and I think Villa were able to offer that. And it just goes to it just happens that like you're you're going to have some people who are going to turn around and say, well, what is what are his motivational factors? Is he just a money man? We won't know. We, like, is there's no a way stepping stone? Maybe is another argument that he comes to Villa for a couple of years I, and then goes to an Arsenal or whatever in the Champions League. Uh, well, he's after leaving Marseille, who just got into the Champions League this season to join Aston Villa. You know, so that to me means that we would have we've backed up the Binks, Brinks truck somewhere along the line. You know, mm. and uh, and and it's 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 a fair thing, you know, to ask: Is this like does he see us as a stepping stone? We will determine whether we are a stepping stone of a club for these players based on our performance. So that's a Stephen Jarrett problem. Yeah, that's not an Aston Villa fan problem. We're like none of us want to admit. Sorry, admits the wrong word. None of us want to ever get into the thought process of, oh, well, we're only a stepping stone of a club because we want our club to win the league, win the Champions League, mad and all as it sounds. That's what we want. That's why we follow them. But it's up to Steven Gerrard to make sure we're not a stepping stone for the likes of these guys because our performances, our league league, league uh, finishing positions need to be commensurate of a team that can sign these players. So once again, it's about selling the, selling the, the dream and the passion to him. And look, if Camaro goes to Chelsea or goes to United, who knows where his where his career could go? Because he might only play twenty games a season, eighteen games a season. That's why when we said he comes to Aston Villa, I think he's going to play a good whack of games. Um, but I do think that there will be times when we'll maybe take him out of the team, or we'll rotate that midfield tree a bit more to keep them fresh, so that we don't have teams overrunning us for an, a five minute period after seventy eight minutes in the future. Yeah, hopefully that's the end of, of those kind of things. We've talked a lot of times about Villa being a bit soft or you know, having a bit of a soft underbelly and things like that. And it's it's these signings and being smart about things and, and getting the mentality right over the next two or three months that will hopefully you know, put those kind of things to bed. Um, I think the last kind of point I had um, was just about the 
the, the smartness, which isn't a word, uh, of Villa uh, doing their business early. You kind of mentioned going to Australia for pre-season in, in three, four, five weeks. Um, the transfer window isn't technically open yet, I don't think, till the start of June, you know, when uh, players' contracts start to expire. So to get Coutinho signed up on a permanent and then Kamara done today as well, um, you know, it's like all the the promo stuff we'll have done. There's never like official picture of him yet, so obviously it's not kind of officially officially over the line in terms of um, media work yet. Um, but it's a it's the it's the signs of a well run club, isn't it, to get your business done early? Like we finished the season yesterday, and if pre season started tomorrow on Tuesday, our squad is already stronger. Like Villa have moved that that quickly to to get things done, and that's what you need. We need a good consistent pre season with all the players that are going to be there. I don't like these deadline days at all. I don't like deadline day signings unless it's a, a big deal that you, you can't you miss you out on. You mean you don't have a Simon Dawkins jersey somewhere in that rack behind you then, no? I don't know. I've got my yellow tie in the wardrobe. Um, but I just don't like it. You, you're already a couple of games into the season and you sign a couple of players and expect them to just fit in and hit the ground running. I don't want that. I want Villa to be smart and ready and from yes. day one of pre-season to have, right, this is the structure of the side. We might add to it over the next couple of weeks, but certainly by the you know, season one, uh, match day one of the new season, we've got our squad. This is what we're going with. We know what we want to do. We've got a good mentality. Let's start pushing. Because if you want to get up into Europe, you need a good start. So it's important that Villa get this summer right now. As you said, yeah, you know, it's getting it done early. And, and here's me with my, uh, what's the word? My my social experiment, my, uh, my what's it? Uh, I don't know what the word is I'm even trying to use, but my, my pro- projection kind of, the club is trying to project positivity. Mm-hmm. I, I, and now is the best time to do that. Get your signings. Get signings like Coutinho and Bubakar Kamara in now before we start to play in August because, you know, when we start to play in August, if we lose our first four games, there's players that are going to be going, Whoa, no, 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 I'm not mm. going near this thing because this is, uh, you know, this this hasn't started off just like uh, we, we expected it to. There's positivity. You can use signed players to sell the project to, new, to other players. The benefits of getting people in early are immense. It's difficult. You have to overpay for it, absolutely, even though we underpaid for, for Coutinho based on, on, on the deal that we had. But I would imagine there's going to be an eye-watering amount of um, agents' bonus, signing-on mm. fee, yeah. contract details for Kamara. It's going to be eye-watering, and people are going That's to say, football, though, isn't it? it's going to be labelled at him at some stage over the next five years of his time at Villa. Is he worth 100x, whatever it is, a week? That's not my concern. I couldn't care less what mm. they pay him. I just want him to perform in the field. Um, but I think that, you know, that is good. Uh, and that's why I think that, uh, the, the, you know, the they've, they've tried to get a cheaper deal at deadline day for people who are trying to maybe flog a player and he hasn't quite left. We're kind of shopping outside that, bar- that, that basement at the moment now. I'm not going to call it a bargain basement because the top clubs do it and they do it to pressure teams into selling them um, that may need to strengthen their squads and the team's getting nervous. We're in a situation now whereby I think we'll, 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 we will scour the free transfer market that we have been doing. We'll get those free transfer big names in early if we need to and then we'll be able to use those to sell the project. But I think that there mm. would be uh, that the, it would be a trickling of signings or a trickling of, of potential incomings once we do go to Australia because I can't imagine this Stephen Gerrard. He's spoken for nearly six weeks in a row about looking forward to getting into a, a rhythm during during the off-season, having a full yeah. pre-season to implement his, his tactics and to implement his, his, uh, his style of play. So I can't imagine him going to Australia halfway around the world with only a half-cooked squad because I really kind of, I'm at the stage where I don't want that to be an excuse again next year. 
because mm-hmm. uh, we had we had a truncated off season this this year and with COVID, with matches being cancelled and stuff like that in our off season, and we, we need a good off season this year. And um, considering that we're going to have a massive break in the middle of the year with with regards to the to World mm-hmm. Cup, and uh, these guys are going to be gone, so the work needs to be put in early early doors for me, and that's why we need to get our players in early. Yeah, I'm, I'm not ruling out that Villa don't sign a player or two, you know, after pre-season or when the season yeah. starts. But a key yeah. cog to to what we're trying to do, I think all that will be done early doors, so we can kind of cement that system in place. You know, people were kind of uh, someone asked a question uh, last week about you know the Grealish thing last season. Did that kind of disrupt our pre-season? And you know, I think the club kind of knew he was going to go, but that kind of hangover, even from a fan perspective, of you know, Willie won't he? He's there in pre-season, then he's not. You know, that disjoint thing, Danny Ings appears out of nowhere the next day. It's all kind of just very random. Like, I don't want that this year. Like you said, I don't want that to be an excuse either. Um, there's loads of questions coming in saying, like, you know, who do we need next? What positions do we need? I, I do want to kind of leave that for another day. But as soon as you're a guest on the show, Neil, I'll, I'll end the, this episode with that. Um, we're talking about a trickle of signings coming through. What else do we need? How many do you think we'll see? And how many do you think we'll see leave? If you had to uh, look into your crystal ball. Well, based on based on what's been levelled in the in the the back page articles so far, I think we'll be looking at we'll definitely be looking at more defensive reinforcements. I think another centre half, definitely one if not two. I think will come in. Um, I think maybe left back reinforcement. So we're talking two more defenders. Maybe the, maybe one of the centre halves can perform in left back. Maybe there's a certain man at Rangers that wants to make wants to come back to Stephen Gerrard. Gerrard signed him from the Leicester underage setup. Put him directly into the into the Rangers uh, squad and and uh, showed faith in him there. Maybe there's a bond there. Who knows? Maybe that is Calvin Bassey that comes in, performs two of those roles. Um, maybe we do see somebody like I don't know. I'm, I'm like Tarkovsky's on a free. He was he was mentioned recently. I think there's another midfield uh, addition to come in. Another central midfield addition to come in. And then I I'm just on the on the the train whereby. A wily old fox up front, and I know that people are going to going to uh, read between the lines of what I'm saying. There, I couldn't tell you who's going to sign for Aston Villa, but I just think in in a way it makes sense to have somebody who can come in for 15 games over the course of the year and maybe get six goals because we've got we've got players at the moment that you know Ali Watkins and 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 Danny Ings. They're they're flirting around the ten goals a season mark, and and I think we need somebody to supplement that because we've got Archer coming through, and that's why I think it's going to be a wily old fox that comes in up top. But I think the striking department, uh, I could be completely wrong in that, but I think the striking department is higher on on their wish list than most people will give it credit for because yeah. um, we do need to capitalise on on some of the some of the chances that we do make, and maybe a different type of striker as well, maybe. Maybe we're talking like somebody mentioned Davis in the comments there. Maybe we do need that brute that goes up front and can and, and can hold up the ball. But uh, I'm not prepared to comment on anything to do with the striker department because I think it's vast and varied who we could go for in that in, in that area. I think it's a bit more predictable what we would look for in central midfield and in defence. But mm. overall, I think I think we might be looking at including Bubakar Kamara. I think we might be looking at five signings over the course of the uh, so four more to come in. I think will probably be. Um, would be a sound uh, suggestion, but after all that, after for striker, you're talking about Watkins, Ings, Archer, and Suarez. <laughs> I, I can neither confirm nor deny whether I was mentioning. I just think, I, I, look, I think, I think if you're bringing someone on for the last 10, 15 minutes to run a team ragged, I think Suarez can still do that, and I think he put the, put away one to one one on ones, and I think he's a nuisance. I think he wins penalties. We've won. 
How many penalties did we win this season? Did we win two? <sighs> two or three, maybe. Yeah. Like, that's a big bugbear of mine. We don't have players that get into the box or attack the box. Like, one of my big bugbears with Matty Cash is we played against Crystal, we played against Burnley. How Matty Cash didn't run at Charlie Taylor every single time and try mm. and win a penalty was beyond me. It's, it's, look, it's a tiny thing. Cash is superb. He's player of the season for us, without a shadow of a doubt. But winning penalties makes things easier. It gives you a, 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 an, avant- a, an advantage. And um, I think that's what we need to get cuter with and smarter with. I thought Leon Bailey would bring that, but we barely saw Leon Bailey this season. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, I think over the course of the next year, I think that uh, or, or if we're bringing somebody in, um, you know, a bit of guile up front, I think, is a bit, will be a bit, uh, will be thought of. Because, Ollie Watkins, some of his, some of what he does does well is very good, but he's got some parts that he needs to work in his game. Like one to ones don't come naturally to him. I think that's fair to say. Um, it's not a natural part of his game coming from playing as a wide player. And, and sometimes Danny Ings as well. Um, you know, Danny Ings is an instinctual striker. He's completely the opposite. He loves a snapshot, and his snapshots are nearly better than his uh, his performed shots or his if he's got lots of time so uh, he's completely opposite type of player so i think maybe bringing somebody in who's an instinctual striker that can they can do both would be would be good but i haven't a clue who that name will be that it will be then if it ends up to be suarez well then we'll have to see how it pans out in the wash okay uh, player i don't expect it to be is someone i totally forgot about from jody here he says wesley I mean, I don't think he'll be in and around Wesley. the options, but Wesley, oh, yeah, I mean, on. selling him? Will, will we sell him, I guess? Get a bit of money for him? Well, he's barely I mean, paid for... You know bad? Sorry, just to interrupt. We spent more money on Wesley than we did on Coutinho and Kamara combined. <laughs> That's grim, isn't it? Yeah, there we go. I can't, I'm, I'm, just, I'm going to do this. I'm going to Google who Wesley is playing for because... Uh, he's uh, a, uh, international uh, international yeah 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 and he's barely played with him this season well he's got about mm-hmm. he's played about 12 or 13 times i can see here but uh one goal forgot all about Wesley. yeah completely forgot all about him um it's really real shame because uh yeah, in some you know, ways, yeah. he's been me has pretty much cost him a, a chance at a meaningful European football going forward, I think. And mm. uh, who knows? Who knows? He could be a reclamation project, but I don't envisage him being around. Yeah, me too. I know I shouldn't have asked those other questions because we've gone massively off topic. <laughs> um, so, obviously, this was the, the deep dive into to Bubakar Kamara joining Villa. So, Neil, as a outing uh, kind of message from you, I'll give you. Can you see the timer up in the top corner as we're recording yes. this? So, I'll okay. give you when it when it. Well, I'll give you. I was going to say when it turns fifty, but that's too far away for me to to fill in. I'm going to give you <laughs> sixty seconds to uh, to sum up the sign of Kamara. Um, so, take it away now <laughs> yeah okay so i i think if we're looking at, at bubakar kamara is really really exciting 22 years of age all the potential in the world um in the in in the the french squad for the first time so he's had a couple of good weeks i uh, per, from a personal point of view i have likened him to the type of player that uh they, they can can move between the lines of a six and an eight like a like a declan rice does he very very good passer of the ball his passing statistics are up in the top four five six uh, percent of uh all mid fielders within Europe and he's a massive sample set of about seven I think it's about 70 74 um, passes per game so it's not somebody who's got a small sample set of passing he's a high workload type of player from the point of view is you can pass the ball an awful lot to him and expect good results from it which is something that we don't have at the moment and um, he's not guts and glory from like he's not going to put two feet in and, and knock a fellow up in the air he's going to be more calculated in his defensive uh, contributions coming from being a center half I think that's where that comes from because he's going to be more measured he's not going to want to give way 
create cheap fouls, and he's more of a defend, more of a, a midfielder that's going to want to slow opposition down, press higher up on the edge of the mid mid mid, mid third, as opposed to regressing towards the box and and uh, and trying to to file back just to protect that D in front, which is something that we do an awful lot. I think he's gonna he's gonna engage a small bit small bit further up, but he's a, he's a, an assured uh, defender. But he's real real um ben, the real benefits that you you do see from him specifically since Sao Paulo Sao Paulo took over from from Marseille is that he can progress the ball forward. He's very good at it. He's confident and he's comfortable in it, and um it just goes to it, it's just a benefit that he has time paying uh, back at centre half as well that he knows how to defend too. So really interesting signing. Uh, the football world has stood up and kind of wiped their brow with this one and said, "Ooh, this isn't something we expected," which is great. Um, and and coming hot in the heels of the Coutinho transfer, this is fantastic PR for the club. Let's hope that that PR for the club is now come be- becomes great PR on the field, and we've got a um, an absolute monster of a midfielder here that's going to come in and take the Premier League by storm. Well, that was the 120 seconds, 60 seconds. There, but thank you very much for that. Reverse uh, isn't my isn't my strong point, then. <laughs> no, I love the detail. That's what I wanted you on for, and that's what we bring in or will bring back AVFC extra in dribs and drabs over the the off season, um, rather than me and Matt kind of sit here and go, oh, I don't know what where we haven't seen this guy play. Let's get someone on who knows what they're talking about and, and deep dive into a subject. So, Neil, thank you very much for joining us on Claret Blue this afternoon. Do appreciate your time. No problem. Thanks very much, guys. Um, thanks to the uh, the Facebook live viewers who watched along and, and prompted some questions along the way as well. We do appreciate that. And for anyone who's watching on YouTube, do subscribe, like the video, those kind of things. And um, if you're listening on, on Spotify or iTunes, then do leave a review on those platforms. Uh, as I said, we'll be back for our end of season review on Wednesday or Thursday. Um, me, Matt, Pat and Ash will meeting up for a beer and have to have a chat over the, uh, the season that's just gone by. One thing I do need to plug as well from the, the higher ups, it's the 1982 anniversary on Thursday. Um, 40 years bang on and we've got a 1982 souvenir special neil are you about to pull that out by, as if by magic oh look at that look lovely at that. little plug i've got it behind me here on the shelf it's a lovely read um have you enjoyed it neil some of the stuff in there i did i did i enjoyed it and to be honest, i got it the i got it just before the super villains bt um documentary mm. which is uh you can watch again on wednesday came out and it was great to have the mar- marriage of the two it really kind of you kind of felt like you were almost part of of mm. you know you were a fan in 1982 i wasn't born in 1982 but i felt yeah. like i was able to relate to absolutely everything that was going on when i watched it when i watched the documentary afterwards so yeah great read thanks very much for it guys it's you know as i say and and uh, to be able to get it over here in ireland when we can't just hop down to the shop or whatever has been fantastic to see yeah, and you too can get it online on the online shop. I'll put a link in the comments box below. I'm going to play a little short video to promo that as well, for courtesy of Matt Kendrick. 40 years ago, blimey. To mark the milestone anniversary of Aston Villa's glorious European Cup triumph, we've produced a brilliant souvenir supplement featuring exclusive interviews with the legends of 1982, fan accounts, photographs, and the original match reports. It's a must-have memento for Villa fans. The 64-page supplement is available in newsagents in and around the Birmingham area, where you can order it for delivery via our online shop. It costs £2.50, and there's also a postage fee if you order online. Up the Villa! There you go. There's a little promo from Matt. Like I said, I will put that link down below, and you can go and purchase that. Um, thanks for watching this episode of AVFC Extra deep dive into Bubakar Kamara thanks to Neil again my phone has dropped on the floor so I'm going to call it a day there thank you very much for watching and we'll see you again later in the week
Thank you for listening to AVFC Extra, an additional dose of Aston Villa content for you, brought to you by the Claret and Blue podcast team. If you enjoyed the episode, please do get in touch with us, get involved in the comment sections, tweet us at Claret Blue Pod, or leave us a review on iTunes. We really do appreciate it. We'll catch you again very soon with some more content. Until then, up the villa. Bye.